Chapter Five of France and England in North America, Part Three. La Salle, Discovery of the Great West. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio. InterfaceAudio.com. La Salle, Discovery of the Great West by Francis Parkman, Jr. Chapter Five, sixteen seventy two to sixteen seventy five. The Discovery of the Mississippi. Joliet sent to find the Mississippi. Marquette, Departure. Green Bay, the Wisconsin. The Mississippi. Indians, Manitous. The Arkansas, the Illinois. Joliet's Misfortune. Marquette at Chicago. His Illness, His Death. If Toulon had remained in the colony, Frontenac would infallibly have quarrelled with him, but he was too clear-sighted not to approve his plans for the discovery and occupation of the interior. Before sailing for France, Toulon recommended Joliet as a suitable agent for the discovery of the Mississippi, and the governor accepted his counsel. Louis Joliet was the son of a wagon-maker in the service of the Company of the Hundred Associates, than owners of Canada. He was born at Quebec in 1645 and was educated by the Jesuits. When still very young, he resolved to be a priest. He received the tonsure and the minor orders at the age of 17. Four years after, he is mentioned with especial honor for the part he bore in the disputes in philosophy, at which the dignitaries of the colony were present and in which the intendant himself took part. Not long after, he renounced his clerical vocation and turned fur-trader. Toulon sent him, with one Perret, to explore the copper mines of Lake Superior, and it was on his return from this expedition that he met La Salle and the Sulpicians near the head of Lake Ontario. In what we know of Joliet, there is nothing that reveals any salient or distinctive trait of character any especial breadth of view or boldness of design. He appears to have been simply a merchant, intelligent, well-educated, courageous, hardy, and enterprising. Though he had renounced the priesthood, he retained his partiality for the Jesuits, and it is more than probable that their influence had aided not a little to determine Toulon's choice. One of their number, Jacques Marquet, was chosen to accompany him. He passed up the lakes to Michilimackinac and found his destined companion at Point St. Ignace, on the north side of the strait, where in his palisaded mission house and chapel he had labored for two years past to instruct the Huron refugees from St. Esprit and a band of Ottawas who had joined them. Marquette was born in 1637 of an old and honorable family at Léon in the north of France, and was now thirty-five years of age. When about seventeen, he had joined the Jesuits, evidently from motives purely religious, and in 1666 he was sent to the missions of Canada. At first he was destined to the station of Tudesac, and to prepare himself for it, he studied the Montagna language under Gabriel Drier. But his destination was changed, and he was sent to the Upper Lakes in 1668 where he had since remained. 
his talents as a linguist must have been great for within a few years he learned to speak with ease six indian languages the traits of his character are unmistakable he was of the brotherhood of the early canadian missionaries and the true counterpart of garnier or jagues he was a devout votary of the virgin mary who imagined to his mind in shapes of the most transcendent loveliness with which the pencil of human genius has ever informed the canvas was to him the object of an adoration not unmingled with a sentiment of chivalrous devotion the longings of a sensitive heart divorced from earth sought solace in the skies a subtle element of romance was blended with the fervor of his worship and hung like an illumined cloud over the harsh and hard realities of his daily lot kindled by the smile of a celestial mistress his gentle and noble nature knew no fear for her he burned to dare and to suffer discover new lands and conquer new realms to her sway he begins the journal of his voyage thus the day of the immaculate conception of the holy virgin whom i had continually invoked since i came to this country of the ottawas to obtain from god the favor of being enabled to visit the nations on the river mississippi this very day was precisely that on which m joliet arrived with orders from count frontenac our governor and from m talon our intendant to go with me on this discovery i was all the more delighted at this good news because i saw my plans about to be accomplished and found myself in the happy necessity of exposing my life for the salvation of all these tribes and especially of the illinois who when i was at point saint esprit had begged me very earnestly to bring the word of god among them the outfit of the travelers was very simple they provided themselves with two birch canoes and a supply of smoked meat and indian corn embarked with five men and began their voyage on the seventeenth of may they had obtained all possible information from the indians and had made by means of it a species of map of their intended route above all writes marquette i placed our voyage under the protection of the holy virgin immaculate promising that if she granted us the favor of discovering the great river i would give it the name of the conception their course was westward and plying their paddles they passed the straits of michilimackinac and coasted the northern shores of lake michigan landing at evening to build their campfire at the edge of the forest and draw up their canoes on the strand they soon reached the river menominee and ascended it to the village of the menominees or wild rice indians when they told them the object of their voyage they were filled with astonishment and used their best ingenuity to dissuade them the banks of the mississippi they said were inhabited by ferocious tribes who put every stranger to death tomahawking all newcomers without cause or provocation they added there was a demon in a certain part of the river whose roar could be heard at a great distance and who would engulf them in the abyss where he dwelt that its waters were full of frightful monsters who would devour them and their canoe and finally that the heat was so great that they would perish inevitably marquette set their counsel at naught and gave them a few words of instruction in the mysteries of the faith taught them a prayer and bade them farewell the travelers next reached the mission at the head of green bay entered fox river with difficulty and labor dragged their canoes up the long and tumultuous rapids crossed lake winnebago 
and follow the quiet windings of the river beyond where they glided through an endless growth of wild rice and scared the innumerable birds that fed upon it on either hand rolled the prairie dotted with groves and trees browsing elk and deer on the seventh of june they reached the mascoutin and miamis who since the visit of dablon and alloway had been joined by the kickapoos marquette who had an eye for natural beauty was delighted with the situation of the town which he describes as standing on the crown of a hill while all around the prairie stretched beyond the site interspersed with groves and belts of tall forest but he was still more delighted when he saw a cross planted in the midst of the place the indians had decorated with a number of dressed deerskins red girdles and bows and arrows which they had hung upon it as an offering to the great manitou of the french a sight by which marquette says he was extremely consoled the travelers had no sooner reached the town than they called the chiefs and elders to a council joliet told them that the governor of canada had sent him to discover new countries and that god had sent his companions to teach the true faith to the inhabitants and he prayed for guides to show them the way to the waters of the wisconsin the council readily consented and on the tenth of june the frenchmen embarked again with two indians to conduct them all the town came down to the shore to see their departure here were the miamis with long locks of hair dangling over each ear after a fashion which marquette thought very becoming and here too the mascoutin and the kickapoos whom he describes as mere boors in comparison with their miami townsmen all stared alike at the seven adventurers marveling that men could be found to risk an enterprise so hazardous the river twisted among lakes and marshes choked with wild rice and but for their guides they could scarcely have followed the perplexed and narrow channel it brought them at last to the portage where after carrying their canoes a mile and a half over the prairie and through the marsh they launched them on the wisconsin bade farewell to the waters that flowed to the st lawrence and committed themselves to the current that was to bear them they knew not whither perhaps to the Gulf of Mexico, perhaps to the South Sea or the Gulf of California. They glided calmly down the tranquil stream, by islands choked with trees and matted with entangling grapevines, by forests, groves, and prairies, the parks and pleasure-grounds of a prodigal nature, the thickets and marshes and broad bare sandbars, under the shadowing trees, between whose tops looked down from afar the old brow of some woody bluff at night the bivouac the canoes inverted on the bank the flickering fire the meal of bison flesh or venison the evening pipes and slumber beneath the stars and when in the morning they embarked again the mist hung on the river like a bridal veil then melted before the sun till the glassy water and the languid woods basked breathlessly in the sultry glare on the seventeenth of june they saw on their right the broad meadows bounded in the distance by rugged hills where now stand the town and fort of prairie du chien before them a wide and rapid current coursed athwart their way by the foot of lofty heights wrapped thick in forests they had found what they sought and with a joy writes marquette which i cannot express they steered forth their canoes on the eddies of the mississippi 
Turning southward, they paddled down the stream through a solitude unrelieved by the faintest trace of man. A large fish, apparently one of the huge catfish of the Mississippi, blundered against Marquette's canoe with a force which seems to have startled him, and once, as they drew in their net, they caught a spadefish, whose eccentric appearance greatly astonished them. At length the buffalo began to appear, grazing in herds on the great prairies, which then bordered the river, and Marquette describes the fierce and stupid look of the old bulls as they stared at the intruders through the tangled mane which nearly blinded them. They advanced with extreme caution, landed at night, and made a fire to cook their evening meal, then extinguished it, embarked again, paddled some way farther, and anchored in the stream, keeping a man on the watch till morning. They had journeyed more than a fortnight without meeting a human being, when, on the 25th, they discovered footprints of men in the mud of the western bank, and a well-trodden path that led to the adjacent prairie. Joliet and Marquette resolved to follow it, and, leaving the canoes in charge of their men, they set out on their hazardous adventure. The day was fair, and they walked two leagues in silence, following the path through the forest and across the sunny prairie, till they discovered an Indian village on the banks of a river, and two others on a hill half a league distant. Now, with beating hearts, they invoked the aid of heaven, and again advancing came so near without being seen that they could hear the voices of the Indians among the wigwams. Then they stood forth in full view and shouted to attract attention. There was a great commotion in the village. The inmates swarmed out of their huts, and four of their chief men presently came forward to meet the strangers, advancing very deliberately and holding up toward the sun two calumets, or peace pipes, decorated with feathers. They stopped abruptly before the two Frenchmen and stood gazing at them without speaking a word. Marquette was much relieved on seeing that they wore French cloth, whence he judged they must be friends and allies. He broke the silence and asked them who they were, whereupon they answered that they were Illinois and offered the pipe, which, having been duly smoked, they all went together to the village. Here the chief received the travelers after a singular fashion, meant to do them honor. He stood stark naked at the door of a large wigwam, holding up both hands as if to shield his eyes. Frenchmen, how bright the sun shines when you come to visit us. All our village awaits you, and you shall enter our wigwams in peace. So saying, he led them into his own, which was crowded to suffocation with savages, staring at their guests in silence. Having smoked with the chiefs and old men, they were invited to visit the great chief of all the Illinois, at one of the villages they had seen in the distance, and thither they proceeded, followed by a throng of warriors, squaws, and children. On arriving, they were forced to smoke again and listen to a speech of welcome from the great chief, who delivered it standing between two old men, naked like himself. His lodge was crowded with the dignitaries of the tribe, whom Marquette addressed in Algonquin, announcing himself as a messenger sent by the God who had made them, and whom it behooves them to recognize and obey. He added a few words, touching the power and glory of Count Frontenac, and concluded by asking information concerning the Mississippi, and the tribes along its banks, 
whom he was on his way to visit. The chief replied with a speech of compliment, assuring his guests that their presence added flavor to his tobacco, made the river more calm, the sky more serene, and the earth more beautiful. In conclusion, he gave them a young slave and a calumet, begging them at the same time to abandon their purpose of descending the Mississippi. A feast of four courses now followed. First, a wooden bowl full of a porridge of Indian meal boiled with grease was set before the guests, and the master of ceremonies fed them in turn, like infants with a large spoon. Then appeared a platter of fish, and the same functionary, carefully removing the bones with his fingers and blowing on the morsels to cool them, placed them in the mouths of the two Frenchmen. A large dog, killed and cooked for the occasion, was next placed before them, but failing to tempt their fastidious appetites, was supplanted by a dish of fat buffalo meat, which concluded the entertainment. The crowd having dispersed, buffalo robes were spread on the ground, and Marquette and Joliet spent the night on the scene of the late festivity. In the morning the chief, with some six hundred of his tribesmen, escorted them to their canoes, and bade them, after their stolid fashion, a friendly farewell. Again they were on their way, slowly drifting down the great river. They passed the mouth of the Illinois, and glided beneath that line of rocks on the eastern side, cut into fantastic forms by the elements, and marked as the ruined castles on some of the early French maps. Presently they beheld a sight which reminded them that the devil was still lord paramount of this wilderness. On the flat face of a high rock were painted in red, black, and green a pair of monsters, each as large as a calf, with horns like a deer, red eyes, a beard like a tiger, and a frightful expression of countenance. The face is something like that of a man, the body covered with scales, and the tail so long that it passes entirely around the body over the head and between the legs, ending like that of a fish. Such is the account which the worthy Jesuit gives of these Manitous, or Indian gods. He confesses that at first they frightened him, and his imagination and that of his credulous companions was so wrought upon by these unhallowed efforts of Indian art that they continued for a long time to talk of them as they plied their paddles. They were thus engaged when they were suddenly aroused by a real danger. A torrent of yellow mud rushed furiously athwart the calm blue current of the Mississippi, boiling and surging, and sweeping in its course logs, branches, and uprooted trees. They had reached the mouth of the Missouri, where that savage river, descending from its mad career through a vast unknown of barbarism, poured its turbid floods into the bosom of its gentler sister. Their light canoes whirled on the miry vortex like dry leaves on an angry brook. I never, writes Marquette, saw anything more terrific. But they escaped with their fright, and held their way down the turbulent and swollen current of the now united rivers. They passed the lonely forest that covered the site of the destined city of St. Louis, and a few days later saw on their left the mouth of the stream to which the Iroquois had given the well-merited name of Ohio, or the Beautiful River. Soon they began to see the marshy shores, buried in a dense growth of the cane, with its tall straight stems and feathery light green foliage. 
the sun glowed through the hazy air with a languid stifling heat and by day and night mosquitoes and myriads left them no peace they floated slowly down the current crouched in the shade of the sails which they had spread as awnings when suddenly they saw indians on the east bank the surprise was mutual and each party was as much frightened as the other marquette hastened to display the calumet which the illinois had given him by way of passport and the indians recognizing the pacific symbol replied with an invitation to land evidently they were in communication with europeans for they were armed with guns knives and hatchets wore garments of cloth and carried their gunpowder in small bottles of thick glass they feasted the frenchmen with buffalo meat bear's oil and white plums and gave them a variety of doubtful information including the agreeable but delusive assurance that they would reach the mouth of the river in ten days it was in fact more than a thousand miles distant they resumed their course and again floated down the interminable monotony of river marsh and forest day after day passed on in solitude and they had paddled some three hundred miles since their meeting with the indians when as they neared the mouth of the arkansas they saw a cluster of wigwams on the west bank their inmates were all astir yelling a war-whoop snatching their weapons and running to the shore to meet the strangers who on their part called for succor to the virgin in truth they had need of her aid for several large wooden canoes filled with savages were putting out from the shore above and below them to cut off their retreat while a swarm of headlong young warriors waded into the water to attack them the current proved too strong and failing to reach the canoes of the frenchmen one of them threw his war club which flew over the heads of the startled travelers meanwhile marquette had not ceased to hold up his calumet to which the excited crowd gave no heed but strung their bows and notched their arrows for immediate action when at length the elders of the village arrived saw the peace pipe restrained the ardor of the youth and urged the frenchmen to come ashore marquette and his companions complied trembling and found a better reception than they had reason to expect one of the indians spoke a little illinois and served as an interpreter a friendly conference was followed by a feast of sagamite and fish and the travelers not without sore misgivings spent the night in the lodges of their entertainers early in the morning they embarked again and proceeded to a village of the arkansas tribe about eight leagues below notice of their coming was sent before them by their late hosts and as they drew near they were met by a canoe in the prow of which stood a naked personage holding a calumet singing and making gestures of friendship on reaching the village which was on the east side opposite the mouth of the river arkansas they were conducted to a sort of scaffold before the lodge of the war chief the space beneath them had been prepared for the reception the ground being neatly covered with rush mats on these they were seated the warriors sat around them in a semicircle then the elders of the tribe and then the promiscuous crowd of villagers standing and staring over the heads of the more dignified members of the assembly all the men were naked but to compensate for the lack of clothing they wore strings of beads in their noses and ears the women were clothed in shabby skins 
and wore their hair clumped in a mass behind each ear by good luck there was a young indian in the village who had an excellent knowledge of illinois and through him marquette endeavored to explain the mysteries of christianity and to gain information concerning the river below to this end he gave his auditors the presence indispensable on such occasions but received very little in return they told him that the mississippi was infested by hostile indians armed with guns procured from white men and that they the arkansas stood in such fear of them that they dared not hunt the buffalo but were forced to live on indian corn of which they raised three crops a year during the speeches on either side food was brought in without ceasing sometimes a platter of sagamite or mush sometimes of corn boiled whole sometimes a roasted dog the villagers had large earthen pots and platters made by themselves with tolerable skill as well as hatchets knives and beads gained by traffic with the illinois and other tribes in contact with the french or spaniards all day there was feasting without respite after the merciless practice of indian hospitality but at night some of their entertainers proposed to kill and plunder them a scheme which was defeated by the vigilance of the chief who visited their quarters and danced the calumet dance to reassure his guests the travellers now held counsel as to what course they should take they had gone far enough as they thought to establish one important point that the mississippi discharged its waters not into the atlantic or sea of virginia nor into the gulf of california or vermilion sea but into the gulf of mexico they thought themselves nearer to the mouth than they actually were the distance being still about seven hundred miles and they feared that if they went farther they might be killed by indians or captured by spaniards whereby the results of their discovery would be lost therefore they resolved to return to canada and report what they had seen they left the arkansas village and began their homeward voyage on the seventeenth of july it was no easy task to urge their way upward in the heat of midsummer against the current of the dark and gloomy stream toiling all day under the parching sun and sleeping at night in the exhalations of the unwholesome shore or in the narrow confines of their birchen vessels anchored on the river marquette was attacked with dysentery languid and well-nigh spent he invoked his celestial mistress as day after day and week after week they won their slow way northward at length they reached the illinois and entering its mouth followed its course charmed as they went with its placid waters its shady forests and its rich plains grazed by the bison and the deer they stopped at a spot soon to be made famous in the annals of western discovery this was a village of the illinois then called kaskaskia a name afterwards transferred to another locality a chief with a band of young warriors offered to guide them to the lake of the illinois that is to say lake michigan thither they repaired and coasting its shores reached green bay by the end of september after an absence of about four months during which they had paddled their canoes somewhat more than two thousand five hundred miles marquette remained to recruit his exhausted strength but joliet descended to quebec to bear the report of his discovery to count frontenac fortune had wonderfully favored him on his long and perilous journey but now she abandoned him on the very threshold of home 
at the foot of the rapids of la chenay and immediately above montreal his canoe was overset two of his men and an indian boy were drowned all his papers were lost and he himself narrowly escaped in a letter to frontenac he speaks of the accident as follows i had escaped every peril from the indians i had passed forty-two rapids and was on the point of disembarking full of joy at the success of so long and difficult an enterprise when my canoe capsized after all the dangers seemed over i lost two men and my box of papers within sight of the first french settlements which i had left almost two years before nothing remains to me but my life and the ardent desire to employ it on any service which you may please to direct marquette spent the winter in the following summer at the mission of green bay still suffering from his malady in the autumn however it abated and he was permitted by his superior to attempt the execution of a plan to which he was devotedly attached the founding at the principal town of the illinois of a mission to be called the immaculate conception a name which he had already given to the river mississippi he set out on his errand on the twenty fifth of october accompanied by two men named pierre and jacques one of them who had been with him on his great journey of discovery a band of potawatomies and another band of illinois also joined him the united parties ten canoes in all followed the east shore of the green bay as far as the inlet then called sturgeon cove from the head of which they crossed by a difficult portage through the forest to the shore of lake michigan november had come the bright hues of the autumn foliage were changed to rusty brown the shore was desolate and the lake was stormy they were more than a month in coasting its western border when at length they reached the river chicago entered it and ascended about two leagues marquette's disease had lately returned and hemorrhage now ensued he told his two companions that this journey would be his last in the condition in which he was it was impossible to go farther the two men built a log hut by the river and here they prepared to spend the winter while marquette feeble as he was began the spiritual exercises of saint ignatius and confessed his two companions twice a week meadow marsh and forest were sheeted with snow but game was abundant pierre and jacques killed buffalo and deer and shot wild turkeys close to their hut there was an encampment of illinois within two days journey and other indians passing by this well-known thoroughfare occasionally visited them treating the exiles kindly and sometimes bringing them game and indian corn eighteen leagues distant was the camp of two adventurous french traders one of them a noted courier de bois nicknamed la toupin and the other a self-styled surgeon they also visited marquette and befriended him to the best of their power urged by a burning desire to lay before he died the foundation of his new mission of the immaculate conception marquette begged his two followers to join him on a novena or nine days devotion to the virgin in consequence of this as he believed his disease relented he began to regain strength and in march was able to resume the journey on the thirtieth of the month they left their hut which had been inundated by a sudden rise of the river and carried their canoe through mud and water over the portage which led to the displains marquette knew the way 
for he had passed by this route on his return from the mississippi amid the rains of opening spring they floated down the swollen current of the displains by naked woods and spongy saturated prairies till they reached its junction with the main stream of the illinois which they descended to their destination the indian town which marquette calls kaskaskia here as we are told he was received like an angel from heaven he passed from wigwam to wigwam telling the listening crowds of god and the virgin paradise and hell angels and demons and when he thought their minds prepared he summoned them all to a grand council it took place near the town on the great meadow which lies between the river and the modern village of utica here five hundred chiefs and old men were seated in a ring behind stood fifteen hundred youths and warriors and behind these again all the women and children of the village marquette standing in the midst displayed four large pictures of the virgin harangued the assembly on the mysteries of the faith and exhorted them to adopt it their temper of his auditory met his utmost wishes they begged him to stay among them and continue his instructions but his life was fast ebbing away and it behooved him to depart a few days after easter he left the village escorted by a crowd of indians who followed him as far as lake michigan here he embarked with his two companions their destination was michilimackinac and their course lay along the eastern borders of the lake as in the freshness of advancing spring pierre and jacques urged their canoe along that lonely and savage shore the priest lay with dimmed sight and prostrated strength communing with the virgin and the angels on the nineteenth of may he felt that his hour was near and as they passed the mouth of a small river he requested his companions to land they complied built a shed of bark on the rising ground near the bank and carried thither the dying jesuit with perfect cheerfulness and composure he gave directions for his burial asked their forgiveness for the trouble he had caused them administered to them the sacrament of penitence and thanked god that he was permitted to die in the wilderness a missionary of the faith and a member of the jesuit brotherhood at night seeing that they were fatigued he told them to take rest saying that he would call them when he felt his time approaching two or three hours after they heard a feeble voice and hastening to his side found him at the point of death he expired calmly murmuring the names of jesus and mary with his eyes fixed on the crucifix which one of his followers held before him they dug a grave beside the hut and here they buried him according to the directions which he had given them then re-embarking they made their way to the michelinmackinac to bear the tidings to the priests at the mission of saint ignace in the winter of sixteen seventy six a party of kiskakan ottawas were hunting on lake michigan and when in the following spring they prepared to return home they bethought them in accordance with an indian custom of taking with them the bones of marquette who had been their instructor at the mission of saint esprit they repaired to the spot found the grave opened it washed and dried the bones and placed them carefully in a box of birch bark then in a procession of thirty canoes they bore it singing their funeral songs to saint ignace of michelinmackinac as they approached priests indians and traders all thronged to the shore 
the relics of marquette were received with solemn ceremony and buried beneath the floor of the little chapel of the mission end of section five recording by lawrence trask mount vernon ohio interface audio dot com